Mini episode 1355 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode 1355. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris. And it's this time of year again, albeit somewhat belated from the usual because of the pandemic, but it's time for our 2021 NBA Finals preview. And for that, I bring in our FDH Hoops analyst, Ben Chu, my good friend, a longtime FDH Lounge dignitary. And uh, Ben is on quite a winning streak, going back at least, I think, to 2014 as far as successfully picking the winners here in the NBA Finals once we've gotten to this point. So I look forward to this. Uh, this is a discussion long in coming here, uh, as we have anticipated what the finals was going to be. Uh, we've seen the brackets on both sides decimated by injuries. The shadow of injury hangs over the NBA finals as we come in. Uh, it seems fitting for the year 2021 because it's happened so many times already. And we'll see in the end who's able to get over between Phoenix and and Milwaukee. I won't say it's the dream matchup we didn't get in the 70s because the Suns were there in 76 and lost and the Bucks were there in 74 and lost. Just a coincidence on that score. But uh, I bring in, uh, again, a fellow who knows something about that and much, much more, a resident hoops historian, Ben Chu. Ben, how you doing today, buddy? I'm good, Rick. I'm, ha- I'm happy to say that the residual check finally cleared after all this timeline, so that's why I've been gone for this very nice timeline. Cancun was very nice. <laughs> very nice. Glad to hear it. Uh, nothing but the best for our FDH Lounge dignitaries. And uh, as we come into the finals, this is one where I have to tell you, this kind of a matchup, and if the teams were both at full strength, and of course we don't know about the Greek freak at this time and what his status is going to be, but if they were both at full strength, it would be very, very unique for any matchup that we've seen in any championship in recent years in any sport in terms of I will go back to our team ultimate quantitative baselines that we do, our, our look at mostly the advanced statistics of the teams involved coming in here. So we, of course, have this posted on the main page at fantasydrafthelp.com, our 2021 FDH NBA playoffs cheat sheet. And looking at the total numbers for both teams, in the composite ranking, Phoenix came out third, Milwaukee came out fifth. But when I give you the numbers by category, it's striking how close together they were in all but one or two categories. Uh, In our final power rankings, Phoenix was third, Milwaukee was seventh. Offensive rating, Phoenix sixth, Milwaukee seventh. Defensive rating, Phoenix tenth, Milwaukee ninth. EFG, Phoenix fifth, Milwaukee third. In TS percentage, you have Phoenix four, Milwaukee five. Assist-to-turnover ratio, a little bit of a difference here, Phoenix 2, Milwaukee 12, but then three-point percentage, Phoenix 8, Milwaukee 2, and uh, again, the total number of points between them, uh, Phoenix at 38, Milwaukee at 45, and of course, when you're doing these kind of rankings, the lower number is the better one, but it's not just, like I said, Ben, that they were close 
in the overall numbers there, 38 and 45. It's how they got there. Outside of assist-to-turnover ratio, you didn't have a difference of more than six points in the standings in any category, which is almost unheard of. Right, and I think overall, too, one point we have to make is during the regular season, these were both two teams that were very high in overall net rating. I believe they were both in the top five. Yes. And it's not really shocking, just kind of if you look at the mirror images of both of these teams, is that while there is a little bit of a difference, if you really just remove Giannis from the equation, you really have two very similar teams. True. That is very true. Uh, now, having said that, with him... Probably, I mean, I think the best case scenario for Milwaukee is that they have a somewhat hobbled version of him some of the time. Uh, that's what looks to be the most likely, I think. But you look at the way that they put away Atlanta in the Eastern Conference Finals, where Lopez and Portis were able to just bully the, their way kind of down low. A little different when you got a guy named DeAndre Ayton on the other end who's come into his own for Phoenix. So Milwaukee's path to victory in the East is going to have to be different than their path in the finals if they have one, again, if Giannis is at limited or no strength. Right, and I think just judging off of his injury, which was a hyperextension with no uh, ligament damage, I would make the argument that Giannis will probably be back. I'm going to guess that Bucks, just out of courtesy for his overall health in the series, will probably hold him out of game one, which is on set for a Tuesday, July 6th. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to guess he will probably play in some capacity in Game 2 and in Game 3. At least won't be closer to 80 to 85% sure. The question is, is the, is the, the severity of the injury a hyperextension of, his, of that knee and foot region? I've had that sort of injury in the past. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, I do not have NBA medical trainers and you know, injury gurus on my side. But it takes a while to fully recover from an injury like that. But just judging from how he was walking around during the Atlanta series, it doesn't strike me that Giannis is, is significantly injured, I would say. Okay. He's clearly being hampered by it, but we will still not fully know that until he gets out on the floor. Okay. And again, since you mentioned that, let me follow up. And, and again, with the caveat, you're not an NBA player or anything like that. But when you have that kind of a knee issue, uh, and again, there's no structural damage, but to use the word again, structurally, is this kind of thing where you put a brace on it and it can kind of help, or you treat it this way or that way? Like, what can be done basically? Most of the time they say it's a brace. When okay. I was dealing with a similar injury, what I've also read about the injury itself, it's, a, it's usually a soft brace or a soft cast. Or okay. Something that can help alleviate the pain. It, w- it wouldn't shock me if you take some form of a... Uh, a shot or sort of a, some pain medication to deal with that pain. But I also think the Bucks are not and not stupid as an NBA team, that they don't necessarily need Giannis in this series for the full seven games. Sure. They're really looking towards probably getting him ready for at least, I would say, if you really want to be as uberly cautious as possible, you use him in game three and game four. Okay. Well, one more follow-up on that, and that being as somebody who right now uh, is uh, dealing with a little bit of uh, sciatica. And uh, if I haven't done enough of my stretching exercises, sometimes going upstairs I can get a little bit of a buckle going. So are we talking pain, just pain that he's dealing with or the potential for it to buckle potentially at some point? I mean, the buckle could definitely come into play. Okay. I, I think the major issue with that is that it is 
he, I remember to it based on an article I did read recently, I believe it was in The Athletic, that said that he has been practicing, he has been sort of going through strengthening the injury and trying to get through it, but he just hasn't done any on-court drills yet at this timeline. But I'm going to guess at this point, the Bucks are not going to really have to focus on practicing Giannis that much. I think they're just mainly trying to determine when is he earliest he can come back and make an impact in the series. Because if we're being honest, and we I've discussed this off air with you and other people, is that the role for the Bucks to win the series is very simple. All they have to do is win one game early in the series in Phoenix, and then win your home games, and then you win the series in six. Sure. So I, I think they can do it. It's just going to be the major question for them is that if Giannis isn't 100% in the games they need to win, is Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, and Drew Holiday enough at the end of the day? I mean, and my sense in looking at it is, and again, I look at what they did to Atlanta, where I think, again, they exposed a little bit of Atlanta's weaknesses here at this point in terms of what they have to do, and that's not even a slam. I mean, nobody really picked Atlanta to make the conference finals, uh, but in order to make it to the next level, uh, they got to get a little bit more beef down low to be able to keep from getting bullied the way that they did by the Bucks. Uh, a very, very effective strategy by Coach Bud uh, the last two games of the series here. Uh, meanwhile, like I said, with, with Aiton, the way that he has really come into his own for Phoenix, that's not going to be an option there. I mean, I, I look at this, and again, if, if Giannis is little to even moderate of a factor in this series, I don't have any problem whatsoever saying that I think the Suns are the strong favorites. Do you feel the same? I feel like the Suns are overall the best team in the, the, of the entire playoffs period just for what they've been able to deal with, what they've been able to play. Sure. I'm saying in terms of just the raw odds that I've seen, the ringer playoff odds for them is 38. I saw the 538 odds is about 40-ish percent for the Buffs. I think value-wise, Rick, and we've mentioned and talked about this, I think the odds are incorrect here only because of their regular season matchups. They played twice in the regular season. One game, the Suns won by, I believe, two points. And then in the other game, the Suns also won that by uh, – differential i think one point but that was in overtime so my argument at this point is i think the Suns are the better team it should be favored appropriately mm-hmm. but i'm looking if you were to tell me that the bucks are a 38 percent odds to win this series at this period of time i don't think that's correct okay let's uh let's take it this way then if it turns out that uh, Giannis doesn't play or, or is able to play but is basically completely marginalized, do you think that 38 for, uh, still stacks up? I honestly just don't think so overall because I think the totality of the Bucks and what they're able to do against the Phoenix Suns is, is a little bit better than people can imagine. Because okay. if you look at the strict matchups of the series – of Chris, of the three best Phoenix plays, which would be Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton against the Bucks, who essentially have Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Brooke Lopez. Stylistically, they mirror each other pretty much the same. I don't know if you can really say that Middleton's defense is going to be good enough on Devin Booker, who they'll be throwing at Devin Book, Booker constantly in this series. Right. But... The real question, and ultimately I think the X factor in the series is going to be Drew Holiday for the Bucks, because the issue that, the one thing that Chris Paul was able to do time and time again in the series against the Clippers and the series against the Lakers was just get past really bad perimeter defense. Right. And 
one thing we do know about Drew Holiday is that he might not be, he might not have an offensive impact on this series, but if it's going to be his job to stop Chris Paul at the end of the day. Sure. And that's going to be quite a matchup there, uh, no question about yeah. it. And uh, again, when you're looking at uh, the guards in the series and the key players and somebody who, uh, again, I think has an excellent chance to be the MVP of the series, although for as much as sentiment comes into it, if the Suns win, unless Chris Paul is really marginalized defensively, it's hard to see him not getting it. But Devin Booker, the way that he has stepped up, asserted himself, this is one of these things there where I, I think for all the players in the league, like Zach Levine, I'll, I'll mention my guy, Colin Sexton, whatever. All this smart mark crap about, oh, that guy is, is that's a guy that puts up you know, empty stats on a bad team. That was the rep for Devin Booker, and that's why he didn't get his full respect until at least the bubble last year where Phoenix really kind of started to turn it around. But him really stepping up to become an upper echelon, arguably top 10 player in this league uh, has been obviously a big highlight of this playoff run. Right, and I think the big thing for Phoenix is they're going to go how Devin Booker goes in this series because if Chris Paul is neutralized by Drew Holiday, it's going to come down to will Devin Booker be able to carry them for lengthy periods of time. We've seen it with the Bucks that Middleton has been able to, to, to play into that role. But I think the most impressive thing with Booker this season is that you can just tell that he is recognizing how to get to his spots on the floor that he needs to score mm -hmm. and when to be aggressive and when to be backed off a little bit. Obviously, it helps a lot when you have Chris Paul, who is arguably, if he wins the finals, one of the top five point guards in NBA history. Yeah. That it, it takes a lot of pressure off of Booker, off Ball. But the one thing that you do have to give Booker credit for is that he is seeing the floor a lot better. He's trusting his teammates a lot better. And one, I feel like we don't talk about VPs and GMs enough in this part of the same playoffs because we tend to focus on coaching and all these other things. But James Jones has done a fantastic job of essentially rebuilding this team from scratch and yes. just putting sort of the core guys together. And let's not forget Rick Morris. About five years ago, there was discussions that the Suns were an absolute laughing stock, and if they did not get a deal with the with the at that point Talking Stick Arena, they were there was discussion that they would be moved at some point. But even Sarver himself, the Robin Sarver, their current uh, owner, I believe, chairman had threatened to move the team to Seattle at that point. So right. this team has done a complete 180. And, you know, we're, I figure we're going to get to coaches in, in a, probably a sure. minute or two, but it feels like to me that the Suns are going to go how Devin Booker goes for this series. I, I agree with that. And as far as it goes, yes, I mean, I'm a big James Jones guy as one of the key behind-the-scenes contributors to my favorite team of all time, the 2016 Cleveland Cavaliers. James Jones as a player was something people made the joke about, oh, you know, he got all those rings and you know, with LeBron. Well, LeBron always wanted him on his team because he was a winner. He taught other guys how to win. He led by example. Kevin Love called him the greatest teammate he ever had and somebody who taught him so much. So James Jones thriving in a situation that he got to accidentally is not even a complete surprise. Remember, he was just a guy in the front office who ended up being the acting GM when they asked Cam to somebody, and he ended up getting the job full-time because he did so well. Robert Sarver, to me... At the time, that was the former Suns GM, Ryan McDonough. That's right, who actually did bring in some of these players here and does deserve some of uh, yeah. the credit. Yeah, McDonough also, too, he also did draft Booker in this timeline, too. But Jones says, remember, too, and we'll note this, too, is that he was very criticized for 
he wasn't really criticized for the Aiden pick, but there was discussions that maybe they should have gone away with Aiden. And then obviously he got pretty much ramrodded over the Cam Johnson pick, and Cam Johnson has completely panned out for the Suns at this time. He has. And, uh, you know, and more about those guys in a second. But yeah, James Jones, deserving of all his accolades. Robert Sarver, to me, is, is sort of the Jimmy Haslam of the NBA, of somebody who got lucky by, you know, he's got the right people in place. It, Robert Sarver's not any smarter today than when that team was a dumpster fire, but all he's got to do is sign the checks and get out of the way. So it shows that there's hope for any team if you have an owner who has the paycheck uh, writing capacity to be able to do that. Uh, these coaches, it's going to be an interesting matchup. Coach Bud for Milwaukee, who has been oft criticized. Uh, for, for the way that uh, the Bucks have come up short over the years. Uh, but uh, he's had, by and large, a pretty good playoff run. I wouldn't necessarily say they're there because of him, uh, outside of maybe the last two games of the East Finals with the adaptations that were made. Monty Williams for the Suns has just been brilliant. Uh, the right man at the right place at the right time, it seems like, for that team. And uh, just a part of the way that the, the team has gelled so well. Monty Williams is inextricably part of that conversation as far as how Phoenix has come together and taken this gigantic step this year. Right, and I think overall Monty was probably, remember too, he was with Chris Paul in their first go-around yes. with New Orleans. Exactly, full circle. He's probably instrumental in keeping that team together. And the one thing that has been very impressive of just this run for them, because we, we tend to forget that they were not favored against the Lakers, despite being the overall number two seed and probably the best team in the league if you really want to make the argument just based on the raw data alone. But Monty did, did a, has done relatively a great job. And the one thing I think he's been really intelligent about how he's been focusing this team is to focus. There was, there was early on, I believe, in the Lakers series where they, they caught him on a uh, coach wire, essentially telling, telling this team that, you know, Jeff, you don't want to have any regrets at this, in the future at this point. So right. just make sure to win now and we'll be able to get there. Essentially, that's the gist of what he said. Yep. And I think that he's ingratiated himself in the culture, like you've already noted. And I think having that connection with Chris Paul and building these young things with DeAndre and a lot of their younger players, I honestly think that this team moving forward, despite what many people will say about how the Lakers could bounce back, how Dallas will jump up, how Utah will be able to retool. This Suns team is not going anywhere anytime soon. No. Even if you remove Chris Paul from the equation, that doesn't necessarily mean that this team cannot figure it out, especially with how Cameron Payne has been playing during the in the bubble and in this regular season. To switch quickly to the Bucks, I, I think Budenholzer we, we've gone on, I've gone on record and we've discussed that I thought he was very too overly focused on following his sort of coaching narrative of the San Antonio way, which is I'm not going to change anything that's worked before or it's not going to work in the regular season of the playoffs or any sort of these little machinations. Right. But to give him credit, he did do a couple of things in a couple of these series that do need to be pointed out. He focused a little bit more on switching defense in the Brooklyn series, and then in this series against Atlanta, they were focusing more on preventing Trey Young from getting into the paint. Right. One point that I felt that is going to be kind of forgotten in the Hawks series was was that the way that Trey Young was able just to get to the basket in Game One and Game Two was pretty relatively easy. And then you can start to see Coach Bud and then focusing on switching defense and preventing that penetration and forcing. 
Trey Young to kick the ball out a lot more to his shooters. And at that point, if you're making Trey Young more of a drop, more of a perimeter player, very similar to how Steph Curry works, if you're forcing him out and forcing him to constantly make shots, that's not a winning combination. But Coach Bud deserves a lot of credit. And just overall, his sort of use of the rotation has, in my opinion, been a lot better in comparison and playing guys like Giannis a little bit more in Middleton a little bit more. Because one of the criticisms we talked about in the bubble was, was that Coach Bud played his starters too little. And then now you're seeing guys like Giannis and Milton get 39, 40, 41 minutes in the game. It's the playoffs. Right. You have to play your stars at this point. You do. Yeah, and uh, and I agree with you about Phoenix not going anywhere. And that, uh, again, what Chris Paul is, is, I'm sure probably at his age, not a part of the long-term future of this team. That said, uh, once you have a championship team there with the young pieces in place, you become a magnet for other players to come in. They're going to be fine moving forward. They're going to be a team that is going to be in the championship conversation uh, many years to come. And w- I mean, and that would have sounded completely insane even 12 right. months ago. But here we are. And, and if you know too, Rick, and we've discussed this off air, is that that roster is pretty much already locked in. Yeah. Yeah. For the next couple of seasons. And you got to give James Jones credit. A lot of people thought that Jay Crowder signing wasn't the greatest either, but Jay Crowder has been instrumental in two different clinching series games for the Suns and the Saints. And if you look at the team just overall, there's a lot of guys who are on this roster who don't get that much playing time who are really solid NBA guys like Langston Galloway and Frank Kaminsky. Right. Who can be guys who come off the bench and can make big adjustments too. Etwan Moore has been helpful and helpful in a couple of these recent series. So it feels to me that Phoenix is built for the future and the Bucks are built for the future too. And I, I think you're gonna this would not shock me to see the Suns or the Bucks back here again next year, but there's still a lot to be shaken out, even with these finals at this point. Absolutely. So, and before we make our final turn here in the analysis, the, the one last uh, X's and O's thing I want to get to here is sure. it's fascinating to me, especially if Giannis ends up being marginalized, which we I, I think it's fair to say he's going to be. The, the only the, the only question right now is how much, uh, how much he's able to play, how much he's able to be efficient and close to what we're used to seeing from him. So that makes, as you said before, down in the pivot there with Brooke Lopez uh, and DeAndre Ayton, and you mentioned a little bit of kind of mirror-type stuff there as far as that goes. Russ Cohen and I, when we were doing our Stanley Cup final preview, we were talking about the Montreal young forwards having to sort of channel their future selves that they were going to have a chance, and we saw how that played out. But uh, So Ayton, I'm not saying that he necessarily has to channel his future self as much as just keep on with the rapid advancement that he's been making in the playoffs here. If he looks like his present self, that'll probably be good enough. For Brooke Lopez, it's a little bit of kind of rediscovering what he used to be. Uh, that uh, Again, he's become more of a finesse player in Milwaukee because that's what fits into the system. He's, been, he's capable of doing that. He's the rare stretch five. But it seems like for Milwaukee to have any chance whatsoever, uh, you know, Brooke Lopez is one of these guys who at this point, with all due respect to him, He's, he's he's more of the Brooke Lopez name than when we think of Brooke Lopez because he's not prime Brooke Lopez anymore, but he sure looked like it toward the end of the Atlanta series, and they're going to need a lot more of that against a very tough DeAndre Ayton, aren't they, if Milwaukee's going to have a shot? Yeah, I, I think he has to for Milwaukee to win this series because one of the uh, one of the weaknesses of not necessarily the Suns, but of their playoff run so far is that if you look at the centers that DeAndre Ayton has to compete against, 
none of them were really, truly great scoring centers outside of Nikola Jokic. But Jokic, I don't even think of as a guy who ha- could, is a guy who could get 30 or 40 consistently on every given game he's out there, even if he is the MVP. It's ultimately, I think, going to come down, if you're going to look at these two players, mm-hmm. you're going to have to look at the big thing for DeAndre and the Clippers series is he's able to get offensive rebounds and kept plays alive, gave Phoenix a bunch of extra possessions. Especially how we treat Brooke Lopez, we tend to forget he's actually a very good rebounding senator. He had a couple of seasons where it's over eight-plus rebounds. Yes. So ultimately, I think for the one kind of thing that Lopez can do is that he's going to be able to bring uh, DeAndre out of the paint area because you saw in the Clippers series and you also saw in the Lakers series when they took out their big guys and were forced to play sort of that's against these small ball Lakers and Clippers lineups they did the Suns did struggle with that because they were unable to guard everyone on the floor now I think Brooke Lopez has been inconsistent, and we might see a little bit more of Brooke Lopez overall, but it, I think it's not necessarily going to come down to which center plays better. It's just going to more come down to if there is an advantage on either side, and if one swings the tide the other way, I think that will have a bigger impact on how this series could play out. Well, and I'm not saying that this is going to be the most consequential center matchup since Moses Kareem in 83, but this is the first year since 83, Ben Chu, that a teammate of Shaquille O'Neal's somewhere along the way wasn't represented uh, in the NBA Finals. So there is that. Uh, Maybe it's just a coincidence. And I also think, too, if you just look at sort of how both guys are, is that he's gotten a lot more aggressive, especially in the paint, and able to get these sort of finesse shots and being able to contort his body a little bit better. That's one thing I noticed, especially from his rookie years, that when he used to try and get into the paint, it was pretty much a lot of power. Now it's a lot more finesse, and I think what's happening now for Lopez is during those last two games against Atlanta and the Eastern Conference Finals, he's had to relearn how to be aggressive a little bit again in the paint. Right. Yeah, uh, very interesting to have two guys like that that can that can flip the switch and go either way, potentially from finesse to uh, the, the more brute kind of a game. Uh, as you look at it here, again, I have to say you're influencing me a little bit in my prediction here. I came in, uh, and, and because again, we're expecting, like I said, a marginalized to whatever degree Greek freak in this series, Suns in five. I'm still not going to say Suns in seven, but I'm going to say Suns in six on this because, okay. you know, I, it's going to go longer than I thought it was going to go after talking to you, but that's my pick. Okay. All right. So how many – so I have been correct since 2014. Is this correct? At, at minimum. I don't think the last year of the San Antonio-Miami one, I think we were both wrong on that. I think we both picked I Miami. I think we were, yeah. yeah. I don't think we were either right on that. You're, you and I so, – Okay, you, so I have at least was it now it's was it's now officially seven years straight. You you do, and by the way, in Toronto over Golden State in, in 2019, let's not, I mean, that's the biggest one of all that was a surprise. You and I both right. got all four of the Golden State-Cleveland ones right, but the toughest one by far of maybe the last decade you got right as part of that seven-year streak. Okay. I, I'm just noting this because if I'm wrong this year, I just want to make sure that I... <laughs> It's better to go, it's better to, I prefer to go 8 and 0, but I'd rather, but 7 and 1 is not too bad sure. at the same point. Uh, I'll be honest too, Rick. Initially, my thought process was Phoenix. Phoenix has clearly been one of the better teams in this playoffs, just generally, just overall. And 
Look, there's just so many good stories with the Suns right now. CP3, Monty Williams possibly getting a ring after dealing with the tragedy of his wife dying in a car crash. And just the young Phoenix Suns bouncing back into sort of this relevancy of a prominence of Chris Paul sort of one shining moment of his career. Yes. But for some reason, and I'm just, again, I'm going to be out there and say, like, this, again, could be entirely wrong. But the way they played in the regular season and the way that both of these teams match up and the and just sort of looking at the odds making, I'm going to do something that I think doesn't make any logical sense. Initially, I originally had Phoenix in seven, but I'm just going to channel my inner Brandon Jennings and I'm going to go Bucks in six. Bucks in six. Wow. Wow. Well, it would be, yeah. on, it would be on their home court. Uh, and uh, again, Man, that is something where, so uh, let me ask you this uh, as we go back to uh, 99 here for a second uh, and, and the originator of this. Uh, are you saying Greek freak, comma, Ewing theory? <laughs> Pretty, well, no, I'm not saying Ewing theory here. What I'm saying is, is that <laughs> I outlaid the path earlier on, and we've discussed this, and one thing we haven't touched on, this has been an incredibly weird year for home court advantage. It's been very minimal at best. It has been. So it would not shock me if a scenario plays itself out where Milwaukee wins game one or game two at, on the road against Phoenix and then are able to take home home court advantage and play inside of the Pfizer for fans. We, we saw their rowdy. And if we're being honest, we've discussed the bubble and stuff like that. It almost kind of feels like to me that this is sort of not Milwaukee's year. This is the year that they should have had last year. True, yeah. It's sort of karmic retribution, Rick. Yeah, or the year before when they gagged against Toronto. But, uh, again, for anybody yeah. that uh, thinks that Ben is crazy, I'll go back to two years ago, and like I said, the Toronto pick, you know, you said that the analytics and some of the things like that were really pointing towards Toronto, and you were right about that. So you went out on a limb two years ago. You were right. This is definitely going out on a limb. It wouldn't be going out on that big of a limb if Giannis was healthy Although I think I would still lean towards Phoenix, even if I knew he was going to be healthy, just because I think they're a more well-rounded team. And as we've been saying, too, Chris Paul... And this is and one thing I want to know, too. This is not indicative of the Phoenix Suns at all. Oh, no, no, not at all. I'm, no. just, I'm just looking at the percentages and looking at the raw data and just looking at how both of these teams played in the regular season and how they're advancing. And I, again, I, I hate to say there's just all the things going on, too, because I think that the one thing I will know is that I, this pick might be entirely wrong, but what I do believe is that the Bucks are being undervalued by everybody right now. Very possible. Because the Kool-Aid is officially out of Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns. And if I've learned anything about the Kool-Aid, when you do get it, when it gets down to the bottom of the, 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 the and I guess down to the bottom of the pitcher, there's problems. Well, exactly. And I think, again, this, this has a very, very strong chance to be uh, the John Elway moment here for Chris Paul. When you're talking about a player of that magnitude, that late in the career, uh, and I think that's what's going to drive a lot of the fascination of the series. Like you said, Chris Paul already takes another step up uh, in his place in the history books, just being in the finals, but to, to get it home uh, all the way, that closes the only remaining question on his career uh, and, and really takes him to another level. So, so many great stories to follow and uh, look forward to uh, checking out everything, of course, in the aftermath of the finals with you and uh, as we move on into the next season. But uh, a great conversation, as always, uh, Ben Chu. Thank you so much, my friend. 
I appreciate it, Rick. Bucks and six. <laughs> I say Suns and six. We'll see which of us is right. Uh, the smart money is usually on Ben Chu, so we shall see. Uh, but, uh, again, thanks so much, Ben. And thank you, everybody, for checking out FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1355.